Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, information leaked to the NDP put Albertans on notice. The province is overhauling Alberta Health Services in dramatic fashion. Just hours later, the health minister, Adriana LaGrange, confirming the UCP is replacing executive leadership, redirecting oversight and accountability, and considering foundational changes across the board. So what does this mean for you? We get into it in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, here we go. Regardless of where you're watching this from, wherever you're downloading this podcast from, we sure appreciate that. Anywhere in Canada, you're probably paying attention to a story that's developing in our home province of Alberta. Leaked documents, Alberta's NDP securing slide decks, basically, what appear to be a presentation made uh, by either the premier's office or senior cabinet ministers, two cabinets, two, two cabinet, two caucus, giving an idea of what the UCP plan for health care in the province of Alberta is. Premier Daniel Smith was on this show just a week ago today, sitting in this very studio. And she talked about, in general terms, her plan for healthcare indicated that there was big news coming, that essentially she was going to make good on a promise, specified or not, throughout the election campaign and subsequent to that UCP win, that there were going to be big changes. Now, politicians would never use the phrase blow it up or dismantle it or take the atomic bomb approach, but that appears to be what the United Conservatives are planning on doing. Now, one caveat, we're speaking to you now, recording this live to tape, as they say, before Alberta's health minister, Adriana LaGrange, speaks to reporters. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. So if you're watching this live on YouTube or streaming the audio on the Mixler audio app presented by California Closet, stick with us because we'll be keeping an eye on social media, looking for basic details from Alberta's health minister, Adriana LaGrange, who may be in damage control mode, though I wouldn't put it that way. I mean, these documents were leaked. Rachel Notley, leader of the opposition, says that the Alberta NDP doesn't actually know who sent them. Whether that's true or not, the NDP says they received these slide decks, these photocopies in the mail. I mean, this is like out of a movie, cloak and dagger type stuff, brown envelope type stuff. So they've released it. I mean, who's to say the premier's office didn't leak it? Who's to say the health minister's press secretary didn't leak it? I'm not saying they did. I'm not saying they didn't, but everybody's talking about it because we don't care about much more than we care about health care. Maybe education, but not really. Healthcare is what we spend the most on. Healthcare across the country is a top priority. And the delivery of that healthcare in Canada is expected to be a few things efficient, and it isn't always, available, and it isn't always, and top quality. And typically it is. But this government, like governments before it, are approaching this in a way that, well, they're saying it's a mess and it needs to be fixed. And that's why this government says it's going to spend about $85 million. I should say that's what the documents indicate, the expected cost of this restructuring. But that's not $85 million towards new doctors and new nurses and more ambulances. And, oh, by the way, for those of you that were hoping to see Alberta Health Services central board blown up in favor of more regional delivery, more regional boards. That's not what this plan looks like it is. 
Coming up in about a half an hour's time, and we've got lots between now and then, we're going to talk to the opposition critic for health. MLA David Shepard's going to join us, and we do have an ask-in for the health minister. We hope to speak with her tomorrow. My thoughts on this and some of your early ones in response to an unscientific, unofficial Real Talk Twitter poll But first, we'll let you know that this episode doesn't happen without sponsors like our friends at We Know Training. Uh, Mentioned this with Premier just a week ago. You know, we've all heard that credential fraud is on the rise. It's among the headlines, whether it's nurses, oil patch workers, or personal support workers. Know what I mean? Healthcare. There's been no shortage of stories where a fake credential is putting people's safety at risk. Luckily, there's an innovative technology that'll make credential fraud a thing of the past. Digital verifiable credentials are secure, cloud-based credentials that go way beyond a traditional certificate, way beyond a digital badge or a PDF. They're impossible to forge, falsify, or alter. They're rock solid. Verifiable credentials are tamper-proof and independently verifiable credentials that use open web standards, which means they're trusted, real-time, and digital. They live in a digital wallet. They can be viewed, managed, shared from anywhere. And with We Know Training, they can plug seamlessly into your training courses. You can learn more about using verifiable credentials or VCs in your training or credentialing program by visiting verifiablecredentials.ca today. So basically, here's the top-level stuff. And again, this is just based on the leaked documents. We expect to hear more from the health minister today, and then obviously we'll learn more as this plan rolls into motion. But, but in the words of the critics of the plan, in the words of the official opposition, those that released these documents on Tuesday afternoon, quote, Daniel Smith and the UCP are plotting to tear apart Albertans' health care public health care, that is, and centralized control in the premier's office. Uh, Warnings this presentation includes potential to fragment care delivery and risk of service disruption and failure. Those are pretty big. If if you think about what those are actually saying, Rachel Notley, the leader of the official opposition, describing it as a blueprint for chaos. A lot of people would make the argument that there's bloated middle management at AHS, that there's too much money, there are too many resources allocated on the fat cats, the big wig, the shot callers, and not enough on the people that have been delivering healthcare consistently, and I would say courageously, well, for many, many years, but in particular over the past through, through the through the course of this pandemic over the past three years or so. These seven new agencies are created. No regional boards, at least not based on what we've seen so far, but agencies like an integration council and a a center of recovery excellence, which is its own thing, but that's not going to take too much time today until we learn more about that. A center of recovery excellence. Is that the response to the opioid crisis? Maybe. And then a procurement and systems optimization secretariat systems optimization secretariat like like a controller like a red tape reduction position like someone that's going to go in there and and hack and slash and figure out efficiencies and and by the way let's all remember and keep in mind finding efficiencies is not a bad thing let's all keep in mind that there are people left wanting that interact with our healthcare system on a daily basis. People that are waiting 12 to 18 to 24 months for surgeries that they need, double hip replacements, knee replacements, people that are living in pain every single day. 
people showing up at ERs and waiting 14 or 16 hours to see a doctor, other people showing up at ERs and finding the doors closed. There's no denying that healthcare is in trouble in Alberta, that healthcare is in trouble across the country. The question is not, should we be looking for ways to fix the healthcare system? Because the answer is an obvious yes. The question is, what's the best way to go about it? And what's pure distraction? Now, there's a lot of people that are concerned right now that there's going to be political interference in healthcare delivery because this plan appears to place more control, more oversight, more supervision, if you will, back into the health minister's office and the premier's office. The concern is, is that healthcare workers already feeling strain and stress and instability in the province of Alberta may move elsewhere. We're going to be talking to a family doctor who's been very friendly to this show, very supportive of this show over the past, well, since Real Talk's inception. He's going to be joining us Tuesday morning next week. You won't want to miss it. He's going to be telling us why he's making major changes and not in a good way to the service that he's been providing his rural patients. Let me clarify, it's good for him because he's going to preserve his own personal, mental, and physical health, but it's not good news for the hundreds and hundreds of patients that he's been serving. That's one person's story. On the mental health and addiction file, uh, first reaction here, first impression for me, what jumps out at me is that there's a note in these slides, these leaked documents that proclaims that Alberta Health Services programs are sometimes running counter to government direction. We can all see right through that, right? This is a government that has a particular ideology, as does any government, on how to solve the opioid crisis. And the assertion here is that programs, service delivery, frontline healthcare delivery, is running counter to where the government wants it to go. But of course, you know who's working on the front lines, right? The experts, the people with experience, healthcare professionals, not politicians. So this is something that we're going to be paying particular attention to. And then there's the question around privatization. Now, you know, for me, this is a bit of a gray area. Some of you applaud that. Some of you, it drives you crazy. But I believe that there are different ways of delivering services that we should investigate to make sure that as many people as possible receive the services that they need in as equitable a fashion as possible. But if this involves selling off things like government hospitals, if this involves opening big private centers, private hospitals that were under the supervision and administration of Alberta Health Services before, this is going to represent a major shift. Now, we put out an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll. This, this was just late last night, and so I'm encouraging you to participate in it today. No matter when you're hearing this through this Wednesday, I said it's another boring week in Alberta politics, and we wonder which Alberta politics story are you watching most closely and why. I mean, last week it probably would have been the Alberta pension plan, right? Unless you were maybe focusing on the premier musing about maybe fast-tracking potential trades workers from grade 10 straight into a program, skipping grades 11 and 12. That's a story that we broke here on Real Talk. But this week, things have changed. We've had the United Conservative Party's AGM. There's news that Tucker Carlson, 
right-wing commentator that's too right-wing for Fox News is on his way to Calgary. Then the Premier is going to join him on stage. So there's a lot going on. Here's what you're telling us so far. With about 740 votes as we're looking at this, with about 13 hours left to go in the poll, 83% of you, the lion's share, a huge majority, are telling us that the biggest story you're watching most closely is the UCP's plan to, quote, blow up AHS. And no wonder. About 10% of you are most closely watching the story of Danielle Smith willing to take the stage with Tucker Carlson, the pro-Russia voice, the anti-LGBTQ voice, the guy who suggested and was producing a, a Fox News show around the idea that the United States should invade Canada to protect Canadians from Justin Trudeau. One in 10 of you are saying that that's the story you're most closely watching. And then a dead heat, a tie for the parents' rights developing story out of the UCP annual general meeting. And then about 4% of you as well saying you're focusing on other. And you let us know in the comments. It's coal mining in the Rockies. It's the Alberta pension plan. It's other news, of course, that's flying under the radar for obvious reasons right now. You can let us know what you think about this. We'll get back into our YouTube live chat coming up in just a few minutes. And we're also, of course, going to be, as mentioned, in about 20 minutes now, speaking with David Shepard. He's the opposition critic for health. We'll get his take on what they've seen with these leaked documents and what he believes the implications are. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that for a very limited time only, if of the 16 Friesen Brothers stores that you visit... South Edmonton, Fort Saskatchewan, or Stony Plain are your stores. You have a chance to get your hands on some Rabbit Hill rooftop honey. That's right, honey. Honey that's harvested from bees that live and work on the roof of the South Edmonton Friesen Brothers. We love this. Now, this is a small operation, relatively speaking, which is what makes this honey so special, but it also means that it's only available for a limited time at those three stores. Make sure you check out a Friesen Brothers in your neighborhood today for great ideas for families as well. You can check out their Family Essentials flyer on their website online at Friesen.com. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy want you to know that if you have experience in the electrical field, if you've got your ticket, maybe if you're an apprentice, but you're looking to kickstart your career in a direction that has great promise, Kubi is hiring. That's right. For a lot of people working in solar, the, the uh, fall and winter months may represent layoffs, may look like EI for a few months. But that's not the case at Kubi. They're in search of talented individuals to help Western Canada remain a leader on the renewable energy front. If you're seeking a new horizon in your electrical career, check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca. They'll even provide you with comprehensive solar training to make sure that you experience a seamless shift. And if you are thinking of a career change, but you've got some work to do in the classroom or maybe the virtual classroom before then, Athabasca University is a perfect place to start. Check out their website, athabascau.ca, for details on the AU Advantage. Why do so many Canadians choose Athabasca U for their post-secondary experience? Well, it's because you're bound to benefit from their commitment to flexible study options, accessibility for students around the world, personalized learning plans, and a supportive community. You can learn more by checking out the links at AthabascaU.ca. Coming up in 30 seconds, we're going to check in with filmmaker Nisreen Baker. 
I haven't interviewed her for seven years, but the last time that I did, we had a blast talking about things Arab men say. Yeah, that's right. That's the name of her documentary that she directed, wrote, produced, and released back in 2016, Things That Arab Men Say. And on this coming Friday, it's going to be November 9th at the Metro Cinema at the Garno in our hometown of Edmonton. She'll be rolling out her brand new project, Arab Women Say What? Can we all just say the prayer of God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man? <laughs> Looking at the media, how they portray Arab women. That helpless woman. And their uh, blind <laughs> eyes. Very submissive. Very submissive. Usually a third wife. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have that in Tunisia. <laughs> no polygamy. In Egypt, it's permissible. But how often does it, does it even happen? Who has the money? <laughs> The censorship is what bugs me. If you write Palestine, yeah. In a lot of different cultures and religions, when it comes to dating, why is it that women have to stay virgins? And if you don't, the honor of the family is in question. A lot of people think that maybe there isn't enough feminism because of the religion. The situation of women being scrutinized has been going on for hundreds of years. We still see a woman as a body not as a mind. Having you girls is just amazing. You did give us a little piece of home and you grouped all the uncivilized people we together. We all did. <laughs> <laughs> Arab Women Say What features a circle of eight local women who broach sensitive political and societal issues, including the conflict in Gaza and Israel, the war in Ukraine, the perception of refugees in Canada, honor killing, abortion, and sexual harassment. The film is written and directed by our guest, Nazreen Baker. And it is so nice to see your face again. Like we said, it's been seven years since we last spoke, and I can and barely believe it. Welcome to Real Talk. Hello. How are you? I'm doing... I'm doing fantastic. I was so excited to hear that that you had this new film out. Uh, When you and I last spoke about Things Arab Men Say, that's the name of your doc. People can learn more about it on the National Film Board's uh, website. We had a wonderful time. I remember our interview went way into overtime. And I also remember that it was a conversation I was a little nervous about having ahead of time. As a white guy, having fun with Things Arab Men say (laughs) talk to us about the impetus behind that project seven years ago and this one today well uh seven years ago uh so my husband and his friends they kind of like um they go to this barber shop to have haircuts shaves and whatnot and um over there they talk and you know have conversations joke around and and whatnot and then um over the years so we we like it's, a, it's like a big family. It's like we created the family that we miss in the old country. So their wives are my friends or their sisters are my friends or whatnot. So it became like a family event. The men are going to go to the barbershop, have a, a shave or a haircut, and then we're all going for a picnic. And picnics usually involve shishas, right? Uh, the hookahs or whatever it's called in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shisha, hookah, uh, the big water pipes. Yeah the water pipes um so you know 
just listening to the conversation, I really, really wanted to, in all what I do since I started my career is basically give voice to underrepresented uh, communities um, and try to build bridges between those underrepresented communities and the larger community, the Canadian community. Uh, so I saw that as an opportunity to, okay, this is a, um, a place where they let their guards down. They talk about everything. Um, so I, you know, spoke to uh, my husband and I spoke to his friends and it took a bit of convincing and then it <laughs> So this follow-up is, uh, has a completely different vibe uh, in part because you clearly uh, either, well, I don't know how you edit it or how you put it together, but it appears to me that this project started during COVID uh, because there are these wonderful moments where it, it looks like, I don't know if they're enjoying Turkish tea. My sister-in-law is Turkish. I, they have a huge, a wonderful tea tradition. I don't know, but they're, but they're, but they're sipping on tea and they're, where was that from? Uh, Tunisia. Tunisia. Okay. And and they're, they're having these wonderful conversations in person and, and we'll play a clip of that in just a moment. But the film starts with Zoom meetings. Uh, did you start this project during COVID? Uh, well, this, this is five years in the making. Okay. This started before COVID. Um, 18, uh, sorry, 2018 is when, okay, you know, uh, I submitted the proposal to National Film Board. It was supposed to be a conventional documentary where we're going to take a crew, film the people. Uh, but then, you know, in the development and pre-production phase, boom, COVID. Um, so I uh, came up with this uh, idea of uh, how about we film because the, the production was going to be put on hold because, you know, under lockdown. And I said, well, my friends and I are meeting on, on Zoom. So uh, how about we document the time? And to their credit, National Film Board uh, indulged me. Uh, and they said, sure, we can film on, you know, film the gatherings on Zoom. Uh, but we want to get up close and personal to the women. How do we do that? And I said, well, how about we send them iPhones? And again, to the credit of NFB, they send eight, eight phones out to the women in the mail. And then the women get the phones and I get the phone call. What do you want me to do with this? And I said, film yourself. And film myself doing what? What do you want me to say? What do you, I said, whatever you want to tell us. And that was the actually the blessing in disguise of COVID that those women uh, turned from subject of the film where you know a camera is directed at them with a director saying you know sit here do this do that to the narrators of their own story they took charge um and i love that i really really love that um filming on zoom came easy because only two of them would hit record so if you're on the other side of the screen you're not really aware that you're being recorded so it just the conversation flowed naturally Nizreen, the the uh, the project, the film is is about eighty minutes approximately, um, and I would say uh, I, I don't have the actual numbers. I haven't looked at the actual time code, but it feels like at least twenty minutes of it, fifteen to twenty minutes of it, is talking about Palestinians and is talking about the occupation and is talking about the journey. Now, this was obviously and clearly filmed before 
the, the Hamas attack on Israel, Israel's subsequent reaction, the horrific violence that, that uh, remains uh, probably the, the number one focus in the world. And, and I should mention, there's also talk of, of Ukraine and Russia and, and, and the frustration that some of these women feel about the eyes of the world on Ukraine and not on the Palestinian plight. Now, how different might the film be if you were continuing to film and if you were continuing to record and to interview these subjects now, all things considered? Yes. Um, so history, the Palestinian suffering, did not start on October 7th at all. Um, this is a 100-year issue, um, 56 of which under illegal occupation and illegal settlement situation um and what started this whole conversation is the ukraine war had just taken place and we were all like appalled unbelievable what do you mean a country just invades another country how does that work why you know so you can see from their conversation that they're really kind of really upset about this uh ukraine uh um invasion uh, but that led them to discuss, well, you know, everybody's supporting Ukraine, but why are they calling us uncivilized? I mean, you know, uh, reporters, professional reporters on national TV came out and said, well, this is Ukraine. They're civilized. They're not like, you know, uncivilized people of the Middle East. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so, and then from there, you know, they they went on to discuss well all the attention to to uh, on Ukraine and rightly so, but has half of that attention been given um, um, to to the Palestinian issue? Maybe we won't be where we are right now. Um, right now, when we filmed, right, which was a year ago, mm. um, but here we are, same situation again. It seems to me that we. Uh, our politicians seem to repeat the same thing, expecting different results, which is the very definition of insanity. Um, you know, we, can I can I say, Nizreen, like some some people, some filmmakers or, or some people reviewing the film or catching it may, may say, well, this was recorded. This was filmed before everything that happened at the beginning of October, before everything that's happening now. So it's it, it's 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 almost you know, I wouldn't say dated, but, the, but the, the, they would see it as an unfortunate thing. I would argue that they're not talking specifically about the conflict. And there are many people talking specifically about the conflict, and that's important. Uh, it's also very divisive. It's a very difficult subject to talk about. Um, people, I think, are, are feeling uh, an enormous amount of pressure to, to plant a flag or to choose one group or to pick which group deserves to suffer and which group deserves to be able to protect itself. I mean, we're having these conversations on the show. I would argue that the perspective represented in your film is more important now than ever. Do you feel the same way? Uh, yes, because, again, it highlights the fact that this did not start on October 27. Mm. This is an ongoing thing. This isn't, an, and, and for years, people have been silenced. People have been, you know, people in the West, you know, you and I, if we talk about the Palestinian issue, it's immediately taken as anti-Semitism. And I would love to take a moment with you right now to kind of untangle this conflation uh, uh, of terms. 
uh, yesterday, sorry, this past Sunday um, in Calgary, a rally for the Palestinians, uh, Wissam Khaled was arrested by Calgary police for chanting from the river to the sea, uh, Palestine will be free. And that was taken as by, by the Calgary police as anti-Semitic chant. Now, let's, you know, dissect this. First of all, Khaled, uh, uh, Wissam Khaled is an Arab. Arabs are Semite. Research shows us that Semitic languages are Hebrew, Arabic, and Aramaic, which is the mother tongue of Jesus Christ. All right? So at best, you can say that Wissam was a, or is, a, a self-hating Semite, but anti-Semite? Mm, not sure. Anti-Semite started in Europe because of what the Europeans did to the Jewish people, which is horrific. Um, but Arabs are Semite. So let's get this one straight out in the open. Let's discuss that further. And I'm, I'm a researcher at heart. I don't do social media. I don't understand social media. I'm really lousy at that. But I depend on academic research on official uh, um, websites like the UN, like the uh, uh, the UK archive uh, um, documents, the US archive documents. So we go through all that, which I'm going to stop here for a minute. And really, really, I am so grateful to how so many of our Canadian, you know, brothers and sisters whom for whom this this conflict is a is an ocean and a continent away. They took the time out of the rat race we're all running in to educate themselves. And you know, you see them in those rallies, whether here in Canada or in the UK or in Germany worldwide. People took the time to really learn about this issue. And when they did, they understood the plight of the Palestinian people. Uh, so back to this issue here, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They're calling for the freedom of everybody from the river to the sea because you see the situation in Palestine is that there are three different laws applying to three different people. You have civil law applied to Israeli Jewish people living in that area. You have uh, semi-civil law applied to Israelis who are Palestinian or of Palestinian origins who live in Israel proper, if you will. Uh, where their water rights infrastructure is not there, non-existence, yet they pay the same taxes as everybody else. And then they have the third law applied in occupied West Bank and Gaza, which is martial law. So that's what this chant means. So here's another point to clarify and, and to untangle from, you know, oh, this is calling for the destruction of this or the destruction of that. They're calling for freedom. They just want to live in peace. Human beings, Palestinians, Israelis, Arabs, Canadians, I cannot imagine a people who don't want to go about their life in peace, happy with their neighbors. We're talking to filmmaker Nizreen Baker uh, about her film Arab Women Say What? I want to play a clip and then, and then I have a question for you about your audience or your intended audience, who you hope this resonates with most deeply. Here's about 30 seconds from the film. No one looked at me differently when I was home. But here I have to explain myself. I, ha I, I used to be a very shy person. I had to shed that shell very quickly when I started traveling. 
I had to, I had to let people know me. I had to talk. I had to speak up. Uh, because if I don't, I can't afford it anymore. I can't afford not doing that because everyone has an opinion of me and it's not me. Nazreen, is this film mostly for Arab women or is this film for non-Arab people to better understand Arab culture and Arab women? This film is for non-Arab people to understand um, Arab women and with it, Arab culture at large. Uh, this is my way of building those bridges of, you know, bringing people together in this mosaic that we call Canada. Coming up on Friday, the film screams, streams at, at the uh, streams. I, I, I'm getting caught up in screens and streams, and this is the new digital media era. It screens in person at the fabulous and historic Metro Cinema at the Garneau. It's one of my favorite rooms uh, in the entire city of Edmonton, just on the south side of the high-level bridge. The film was shot in Edmonton. Edmonton plays a very special role in this film and in your career, right? Yes. Yes, Edmonton has a very, very special role <clears throat> in, in my career. Uh, it has a very special place in my heart. I, uh, it's the longest place I've ever lived in. Uh, even more than my, you know, country of origin. Um, so yeah, Edmonton means a lot to me. It's uh, it's home. It's where I met my friends who became family. It's where uh, my career took off. Yeah, Edmonton means a lot. Yeah, I love this. You've you've got like amazing shots of of some of the iconic landmarks in Edmonton. I'll be honest, when I watched the film from start to finish, I didn't know the detail about Edmonton at first. And I kind of gasped in like the first two minutes when I saw the bridges and the river Valley. And I went, this is so great because this is like this, these, these are eight different women from, from all around the world. I mean, literally it's, it's a really neat context that you've established. Yes. And, and I think that's, that's the beauty of Canada, right? That people can come from every part of the world and, you know, find each other, you know, create those connections and and um, collaborate and contribute and and just build this country uh, that is freezing in winter but very lovely in summer. <laughs> Nisreen, congratulations on the new film. I'm 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 excited for you. Uh, I consider you to be a friend, and uh, and you've really done a beautiful job on this. If people want to learn more about what's coming up on Friday, if they want to be there in person or they want to learn more about the project, uh, we recommend that they check out metrocinema.org. That's that's the number one place you want us sending people, right? Yes. yes. Okay, love it. Metrocinema.org. And you can learn more about Nizreen's uh, projects, including her 2016 film, Things Arab Men Say as well, by checking out the National Film Board's website. We'll link to both of those in the show notes on the podcast and on YouTube. Thanks for making time for us this morning. It's really, really wonderful to read connect with you thank you so much i had as always had so much fun and yeah hope to talk to you again soon yeah hey nizreen let, let, let's also say you know what i think it's worth maybe i should have said this at the beginning i think it's worth the audience would like to know this insight uh you and i through your publicist had booked this interview before everything was happening i mean i wouldn't say everything is happening that's kind of a loaded phrase but let's just say we booked this before october 7th um, and you and I were planning on talking about this anyway, but I want to recognize 
um, out loud on the record that I appreciate your willingness to have a meaningful conversation about that conflict, about that war right now, in addition to talking about your film project. I want you to know that that means a lot to this show and to the integrity of our dialogue. Thank you so much. I Seriously, uh, you're one of the few, few people who um, holds that integrity and holds that value. I see what's happening in, in mainstream media, and I'm truly, truly uphold truly uphold because here it is i was in lebanon living in lebanon in the 90s i lived in a building that was right behind us was the uh, uh media center for hezbollah and as it often happens israel came you know shot that building shot the third floor in that building we all ran to, you know, the, the basement or the, the car park. And then when we came out, my building was standing. The building that was shot was standing. It was the apartment on the third floor that was destroyed because of Israel's guided missiles. So to me, to somebody who witnessed that with my own eyes, I cannot even begin to fathom what is happening in Gaza. Because one of two things, are they incompetent now? Have they lost their guided missiles? Or is it the genocide? And they're committing a genocide. It's just, it's mind blowing to me that our uh, political uh, equipe is supporting, supporting. And here's another thing. There's a big difference between supporting and enabling. What we, we, what we are witnessing, this is enabling. And if I'm going to call my you my friend, or you're going to call me your friend, and I see you doing something that is to your detriment, and I say, okay, go ahead, go ahead. I'm not a friend of yours. I'm not a friend of yours. That's enabling you. That's not supporting you. Big difference. Big difference. Filmmaker Nizreen Baker, our guest on today's Real Talk. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. You got it. In 60 seconds, we're going to get back to probably the top story in our home province of Alberta right now. It might be the top story in Western Canada. It's certainly a story that people across the country will be watching. When a, a provincial government signals its intention or has its intention revealed to make dramatic changes to healthcare delivery, you better believe everybody's paying attention. MLA David Shepard, the opposition critic for health, coming up in 60 seconds or less. First, I want to let you know that if, heaven forbid, you or your family, maybe your business encounters a fire, you're dealing with flood all of a sudden. We know that that happens sometimes when pipes are bursting as the temperature drops. It can be frustrating, obviously. It can be very stressful. The need for professional assistance to deal with a situation like that is so important. You need to make the right choice. And who helps restore your home or business to its pre-loss condition? Complete Care Restoration is a double ICRC certified firm. They maintain that status, and that's a big deal. Why? Well, because it, it means that they're ensuring that every member of their team, every person 
on the phone with you, emailing you, on the site, on the job site, cleaning up, doing the work, putting in the new drywall, laying the new floor, is a certified technician in their role within the company. You know that the staff working on your property, your investment, is always certified and credentialed to perform the required tasks. This is the commitment that Complete Care Restoration makes to you. It's the commitment that they make to this province. If you encounter a disaster that needs to be turned around, that needs to be fixed, look no further than CompleteCareRestoration.ca. On a happier note, it has nothing to do with fire or flood, but if your backyard's just a mess, like ours was, you're embarrassed to have people over, your dogs are tearing it up, you got drainage issues, the grass just won't grow, the trees are lousy, essentially, you're always finding reasons to have the barbecues at your pal's house and not yours. Well, that was our situation for many, many years until we started working with Eden Landscaping. You can check out my wife's Instagram reels at Carrie Skelton. I'll pop those in the show notes today to see the dramatic transformation of our backyard. And when you do, if it resonates with you like it did with Real Talker Travis yesterday... You're going to reach up to Eden Landscaping right away. We got an email to our Real Talk inbox. He just said, I saw the reel on Instagram. Holy cow. Please make the email introduction. And we did. And it sounds like Travis might be hiring Eden to turn his yard around. They bring outdoor spaces to life. We've seen it firsthand. We're living it right now. And that's why we're proud to recommend Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, it's the talk of the province. Leaked documents, a slide presentation, a slide deck shows at least part of the high-level thinking behind the United Conservative plan to dramatically change health care delivery, the supervision of it, the administration of it, and potentially the ideology behind it in Alberta. David Shepard is the MLA right in Edmonton's downtown core. He's the opposition critic for health, and he joins us on this morning's show. David, thanks for making time for us on short notice. Uh, your first thought when you saw these leaked slides. I'll be honest, Ryan, my heart sank. You know, I've spent a lot of the last four and a half years talking to folks on the front line of the healthcare system. I know how much they are struggling, and frankly, how much they are struggling because of terrible decisions that were made by this government, intimidation, bullying, uh, interference in the healthcare system. And what I see in this document is a plan to just ramp that up exponentially. So there's nothing here in these documents outlining how they actually intend to get more resources to the front line, despite their claims. There's nothing here about how they're going to get more people working on the front lines. What there is, is a plan to create dozens of new government bureaucracies, hundreds of new bureaucrats, Again, absolutely nothing here about new healthcare workers. Centralizing control in the Ministry of Health, under the thumb of the health minister and under the direct control of Premier Danielle Smith. So what I see here is likely going to think be a lot more chaos, a lot more disruption for frontline healthcare workers at a time when they're already struggling to hold things together. So, David, uh, people like me included will say, hang on a second, though. We, we do have and this is not carrying water for the government. We just say we recognize and I know that you'll acknowledge this as well. Serious issues in healthcare delivery. And a lot of those are evident on the front lines, including a lack of workers. We don't have enough doctors or nurses. The ones that we do have are burned out. We don't have enough hospital beds. Our ERs are crowded or sometimes closed. So the average Albertan might say, well, why not 
a pre, you know, why not consider, I don't know if I want to say a scorched earth approach to this, but a foundational change here to try to get it on the right track. What would you say to people like that? What I would say, Ryan, is I've yet to hear a single frontline healthcare worker, a single person who is out there actually doing this work in the field, say that they support a plan like this. Indeed, many have begun to come out and say that this is going to cause even more difficulty. Now, you're not wrong. We have some fundamental challenges in our healthcare system, challenges that we are seeing across Canada and indeed around the world. But those challenges are not going to be solved by trying to tear the entire system down, stand up a bunch of new government bureaucracies and put more power in the control of a government that frankly has demonstrated they can't run a lemonade stand. Take a look at the one, one, one great example we have of this government trying to say they could provide better care. They could fundamentally reorder the system. Their attempt to privatize community lab services here in the province. So that's one piece of a complex healthcare system that they utterly failed on. Within weeks of them going through with on a process that they spent three years putting in place, within weeks, Albertans were getting worse service, seeing longer wait times. They brought the community lab system to the verge of collapse, had to pull it back into AHS and back into public delivery. And this is the government that now says they are going to reorganize the entirety of the healthcare system with a heavy eye, clearly towards more privatization, more contracting out. That suggests to me that we are going to see even more of the same kind of chaos, more of the same kind of ignorance and incompetence we have seen from this government, more of the kind of interference that we saw that made our, the pandemic here in the province of Alberta so much worse, the politicization of healthcare. So do we need changes in our healthcare system? Absolutely, we do. But they need to be thoughtful. They need to be collaborative. They need to be about true investment in the front lines. That is not what we're seeing here. We're seeing investment at the top, more bureaucracy, and more interference and control. Uh, we've learned of this just a few minutes ago that that former Klein era uh, Tory health minister, Dr. Lyle Oberg, will be serving as the new board chair for Alberta Health Services. Your thoughts on that? Well, what I can say, Ryan, is, you know, I've, I've said it often and I will say it again. I think the UCP government has done more damage to our public health care system in the province of Alberta than any before. But the close second would be Premier Klein and his government. You look back, we saw mass exodus of health care workers. We saw a mass focus on privatization, trying to stand up private hospitals. His whole third way policy that Albertans spoke of vehemently against. So if that is the flagship figure, bringing in more of the of the client philosophy to healthcare, I'm deeply afraid for the impact that's going to help, help happen in our healthcare system, how this is going to hurt healthcare workers, especially at a time when we are critically short on healthcare workers. That is a fundamental part of the entire crisis we face. So bringing in more ideas from the government that drove healthcare workers out of the province at a second, probably only second to the UCP in doing so, that doesn't look like a good sign. Uh, David, there's there's a lot that, that people are going to be sort of sorting through and sifting through with these leaked documents, these slides. And there's there's a lot of details, obviously, when it comes to a 20. You have a better idea of what the budget is specifically, but I know it's, it's like over 20 billion. It's well over 20 billion annually on health. It's it's a huge investment. It's a huge expenditure on the province. So when you talk about blowing up the board, when you talk about blowing up AHS, rolling in a new seven member board, centralizing supervision or oversight or control in the health minister and the premier's office, I mean, these are 
major changes and there are there's so much minutia that we could get into. I know that the average Albertan that watches or listens to this episode of Real Talk would be curious to know you as the opposition critic, you as the one who's got a team that's like sifting through this and looking at this and identifying the top issues, would be curious to hear maybe the, the top one or two or maybe three things that you noticed out of those leaked documents, some of the things that you're keeping a keen eye on. I know for some people it might be privatization. For some people it might be the indication that the government feels like mental health and addiction is being delivered in a different ideological fashion than the government might prefer. What are some of the top things that you're watching right now? Well, one of the first things is going to be that centralization of control, because we let's remember how we got here. Danielle Smith ran for leader of the United Conservative Party and became premier based on a platform of attacking AHS, not because she was concerned about health care delivery, because she objected to the fact that they stood up for Albertans in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. She wanted the health care system to do less, to save less lives to put less focus on scientifically proven treatments like vaccines and other supports. And that was that was the rhetoric that she brought forward. And so she attacked Alberta Healthcare for this. She tried to claim that Alberta Health Services, in fact, manufactured that crisis. So that is the basis on which we are now seeing her and under through her, under her, Minister Lagrange, looking to seize more control over the healthcare system after they fired the previous CEO of AHS, AHS, after they fired the previous chief medical officer of health, and after they have spent at least a year, I'd say even more, working to hide as much data from the public to reduce transparency of government. So they are now going to centralize even more control. So I'm going to be watching very closely to see what those impacts are, because Albertans need transparency and accountability, especially on something that's this significant, that's going to have this level of spending and could have such a dire impact on the services that every single Albertan depends on. Secondly, I'm going to be watching closely on primary care. Now, you mentioned, you know, the, pre, the health minister, she talks about talking with Dr. Paul Parks and other folks at the Alberta Medical Association who've been involved in their in the work on trying to rebuild our primary care system. I've talked to the doctors who've talked to the minister. They've told me about what they presented to her. None of it has shown up. They've given solutions to this government that could, within the current system, build better, more sustainable primary care solutions that could be on the table today. Real investments like other provinces made months ago to get more people able to see a family doctor and ensure clinics could stay open. Instead, what we get from this government is more control in the Ministry of Health, no actual resources, no actual movement. So I'm going to be watching very closely because that is the foundation of our public health care system. That is what's going to reduce the pressure on our ERs. That is what's going to keep more people out of hospital. But the government drags its feet on those real practical solutions and focuses on this high-level reorganization and control. So I'm going to be watching very closely on that and continuing to talk with family doctors about the real solutions we need. Uh, Bunny Slippers on our live chat says the, the the Klein era of healthcare is why we're in so much trouble now. Bunny, it might be one of the reasons. Uh, says the war on nurses alone killed a generation of nurses because they bugged out and they moved 
or left the profession. I know that it's it's estimated, and again, I'm referencing, this is, you know, your critics would call this NDP propaganda. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that this, I'm going to say that this is, this is uh, information and interpretation supplied by the leader of the official opposition's office. So this is from Rachel, Rachel Notley's office, but I'll get you to comment. It's estimated that approximately a quarter million healthcare workers, approximately 250,000 healthcare workers across Alberta will be directly impacted by the health system refocus notes this document, none of which have been consulted with prior to implementing these changes. Uh, MLA Shepard, what's your message to healthcare workers that are going to be watching or listening to this interview today? What I want to say to healthcare workers, Ryan, is we see you and we hear you. And we know the challenges you are facing out there on the front lines, challenges that this government has worked constantly over the last four and a half years to deny and hide. And now they suddenly want to point and blame someone else. But every one of you that is out there doing this work, you deserve real support. You deserve real resources. You deserve a a real plan to help you do the work that you got into this job to do, to provide the quality of care that you know your patients deserve. So we've got you back. We're going to be in there in the legislature. We're going to be pushing at every level of this UCP government's plan for those resources to get to you, for your voice to be heard, and for you to get truly be empowered in the work you need to do on the front lines. What is, for for the solutions-oriented people, you know, for the folks that would ask you the very fair question, let's pretend like this is a debate, and you're up there with the health minister, and they say, okay, MLA Shepard, if you were the health minister, where would you start what's one thing that the alberta ndp would do to start to fix health care what would be your approach so some of the first things we would have done out of the gate as an ndp government brian first thing we would have done is we would have passed bill one a bill on transparency on data on the system we had a bill ready to go that would have set out the parameters by which we would measure success in the healthcare system, involve the Health Quality Council of Alberta's, others set clear metrics and required reporting from government so that Albertans could track the success of elements in the healthcare system. Because as I said, what we've seen under the UCP is they have hidden data. They have had less transparency. They have been called out for this. They are under investigation by the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner for uh, allegedly manipulating the FOIP system to try to hide more data. So we would have, first of all, set up transparency and real metrics so we could track success. Secondly, we would have been taking action on primary care. We had a plan, family health teams, to support and invest in primary care, support family doctors to be able to build teams of primary care professionals that would have been able to expand capacity and help Albertans take that pressure off the system at the foundation. We would have been moving immediately to address the costs that family doctors are facing, that's making it difficult for clinics to stay open. Much like we've seen in other provinces, we would have been doing that work openly and collaboratively at the table. We would have brought in real incentives, financial incentives, to keep healthcare workers in the system and bring new healthcare workers in. We have seen no movement from this government on that front, and we see nothing in this plan about how they intend to address that. Our focus out of the gate would have been on stability. This government's focus is on reorganizing the deck chairs on the Titanic. They talk about giving resources to the front line, but they have done nothing to do so. But that would have been our focus out of the gate, And from there, we begin to work to address the more complex, entrenched problems in the system. MLA David Shepard, 
is the opposition critic for health. We appreciate you doing this on short notice. It's always good to connect, David. Thanks. My pleasure, Ryan. Have a great day. You got it. We have an ask in with the health minister. We hope to speak with Adriana LaGrange tomorrow. Uh, if you have a question for her, uh, you know where to send it, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And we've been saying this ever since this show launched. By the way, Johnny, coming up on three years, November 23rd of 2020, Ooh. ever since that first episode, we've been asking you to CC us, to CC talk at ryanjesperson.com on your correspondence to your elected representatives, your school board trustees, your city councilors, your MLAs, your premier. You're going to say she's not my premier. The premier. And of course your MPs as well. It helps us understand the pressure that they're facing. It helps us understand what constituents are saying to them. It gives us material to work with in some circumstances, even for the flamethrower. Our Friday tradition presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. This is your chance. You know, this is the feature formerly known as Trash Talk. Until our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park stepped up to take this thing over. And it's so good. Bring the heat. Air your beef. I mean, the puns are just stacked. Much like the flamethrower burger itself. But if you're seriously pissed, or at least very concerned about what you're hearing on this, send us an email and let us know where your head's at. How about this tweet from Lisa Cross, who says the solution to this isn't radical restructure or delivery change. It's experts doing the hard work, paying attention to funding and resources and delivery in detail with accountability. Smarmy, short-term politicians with no expertise shouldn't be anywhere near it. This is dead obvious. Now, I'm one of those who's sitting here saying we can't say with a straight face that our healthcare system is perfect. I tweeted at somebody yesterday to say I've, I've long lamented the sacred cow status that healthcare administration has in Canada. I'm not talking about healthcare itself. You remember when the CBC ran that greatest Canadian contest a number of years ago? And, and who was it that at the end of the day emerged as the all-time greatest Canadian? I mean, a lot of things have happened in the country since then, by the way. The country's woken up to a number of things. But still, Tommy Douglas who's essentially looked at as, as the founder of or, 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 or the, the man who drove, the person who drove the thinking, who drove the commitment behind Canada's public health care system, was, was essentially recognized as the greatest Canadian. And the message that that sends is that Canadians hold our health care system, our public system, dear. I know it. Because I've gone on the record for many years talking about exploring options around, you know, cutting back on surgical wait times by allowing for private clinics, allowing people to receive AHS funding to travel to get surgeries done to clear up the queue. I don't care. Tax them to heckin' back. Tax those surgeries so big that someone's private knee surgery pays for a public one. We've mused about this in different contexts, and the blowback has always centered around what we hold to be dear, and that is a universally accessible healthcare system. But why is administration often looked at like it can't be touched, like it can't be shaken up? I think it's time that we get past that. Not to say that you just pull the pin on a grenade and throw it into a boardroom and see what happens, metaphorically speaking, obviously. But if you look at this situation right now, even as the official opposition's health critic assesses it, 
There are major issues in the healthcare system. And so the government, any government, is tasked with fixing it. The question is, how do they go about it? What drives their solutions? And ultimately, what's the impact on healthcare workers and people like you? And so that's why we'll continue to obviously follow this story. We'll keep it right at the top of the news cycle while we attempt to keep an eye on everything else. I mean, it was just last week as well. We were talking to geophysicist Jenny Yeremy about what's happening with Alberta's water woes and the fact that there are communities trucking in water right now in southern Alberta because they've run out and coal exploration is continuing on the eastern slopes of the Rockies. And that's not even to mention all of the other stuff that's happening. But this one, this one's a biggie. Also, take a second to ask yourself, what are we not paying attention to or not focusing or following up on? What are we not talking about in light of this that's always relevant in politics too not to say that this is some big scheme to distract us from something else because i don't think you kick off a scheme by rolling out an entire new health services board establishing four different agencies bringing in seven new board members blowing things up spending 85 and by the way 85 million is the bare minimum on this 85 million is what it's going to cost to replace the letterhead and buy new envelopes. I mean, this is going to be a major overhaul. Government's got the impetus to do it, but how they do it will be scrutinized. Because people that vote one way or another, when it comes down to the fact that they can't get in to see an oncologist after receiving a cancer diagnosis, or they can't get a surgery, or their parent can't get a surgery that they need when they need it, well, that's when people start to care less about political affiliation and start to care more about service delivery on the front line, because that's when it starts to hurt people, and that's when people get really, really motivated to be a part of that process. So you know where to find us. We'll continue to drive these conversations forward, and you can be in touch with us anytime. Just check out the Connect link at ryanjesperson.com. Let's take a breath for a second, yeah? Every Wednesday, thanks to our friends at Tourism Jasper, we have a chance to, to head out to the mountains, at least mentally, and remind you about the things that lie in wait in Jasper National Park. And because Remembrance Day is coming up this Saturday, we want to basically dedicate or commit this edition of My Jasper Memories to the Veterans Appreciation Event that's happening in Jasper. It's already underway, as a matter of fact, and it goes all the way through till the end of this weekend. You can check out jaspervetfest.com for more information. This is an annual event, the third annual, that's held in Jasper National Park with an amazing lineup of events, discount, and activities to enjoy while you're there. And they're continuing to add events as they go. Now, this is not, of course, an event that's just limited to veterans. This is an event for everybody as we show our appreciation for the service and sacrifice of the men and women that have served and are serving with the Canadian Forces. Just yesterday, they had their No Stone Left Alone initiative, honoring the service and sacrifice by educating and inspiring Jasper's grade 7 students. Uh, the students from Ecole de Rocher, some senior high school students there as well, placing poppies on veterans' headstones. Uh, today, if you're listening on Wednesday, they've just wrapped up their coffee and chat. They've got a poppy beating event going this afternoon in honor of Indigenous Veterans Day. They've got a trivia night 
this evening. Coffee and chat tomorrow. An event for women veterans, a women's veterans appreciation event coming up on Thursday. The Royal Canadian Artillery Band is in action. They've got a scotch event, bottoms up. They've got bingo night, paint night, and so much more. The PPCLI drumline. The Royal Canadian Artillery Band will be in action on Friday. And then Veterans Week Jam Night at the Legion on Friday night. Johnny, have you ever been to the Jasper Legion? I haven't. It is a blast. <laughs> at the you can't wear your hat though. You can't wear your hat in the Legion, so make sure you show up with. I'm good, good with that. You got to show up with. Hair. You always have great hair. Yeah. Uh, they've got a Remembrance Day ceremony as well that goes Saturday, November 11th. You'll want to be there by 10:30, and of course at 11 o'clock there will be that moment of silence as we honor and remember Canada's war veterans peacekeepers and those who have lost their lives serving alongside them. Jasper's Veterans Appreciation event is available online. If you'd like to learn more, book your trip to Jasper. You can check out jaspervetfest.com. My Jasper Memories is presented every Wednesday right here on Real Talk by our friends at Tourism Jasper. So there's uh, a lot of buzz around healthcare in the province right now, but we can't forget that we've been talking about a million other things as well. And while we did have our unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll going, and people can vote on that, uh, you know, the, the Alberta politics story that you're most closely watching and why, I thought it might also be worth revisiting the, uh, the uh, Twitter poll that we put out there yesterday. Now, again, as we said to pollster Janet Brown, I was a little bashful in asking her about this and presenting this to her because she's legit. Mm-hmm. And Twitter polls are, are really, as we've said, completely unscientific. So you got to take them with a grain of salt. Garbage. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> They're just above garbage status. But I would never present a Twitter well, poll. They have, as, they have merit. As, as anything other than for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. So under the for what it's worth column, we spent a lot of time yesterday asking people how they feel about political parties represented at the municipal level. In other mm-hmm. words, in Alberta, would you like to see a united conservative candidate or an NDP candidate yeah. or Alberta party or green or Alberta liberal or what have you for a city councilor or for a school trustee? We've got a great highlight up on our YouTube uh, Detailing the, the finer points of this yesterday. Yeah, with we do. If you, if you want to cut through an incredible thumbnail, an interview, <laughs> the thumbnail is probably the best one we've ever done. Party on, it says. And we've got uh, Danielle Smith and Rachel Notley channeling their inner Wayne and Garth. <laughs> it might be my favorite thumbnail that Real Talk's ever, ever released. Yeah. Um, but 1,960 of you, we, we were hoping for 1,500. So we appreciate the nearly 2,000 of you that voted mm-hmm. in this unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll. Would you like to see political parties represented at the municipal level wow. in Alberta? 87.6, we'll call it 88% say no. Yeah, I don't like it either. 8% say one, about 4.5% say that they're mm-hmm. undecided. What don't you like about it? Well, I think Tyler nailed it yesterday in the conversation is is the municipal level stuff it's it's i don't want a color to it i don't want a party flag there i mean we're talking about roads and and libraries and rec centers and getting potholes fixed and and you know making sure transit that's an every and i know parties are supposed to be for everyone but we know that when you get into that party mode you're talking about you know the people you represent and at a municipal level i think you you really are more than any other level of government you got to represent everyone. You're, th- these are the most basic things humans need: transportation, good roads, you know, public places to go and enjoy with their family and friends, and and get you know some free education like a library or whatever. So yeah, I think Tyler nailed it yesterday with that. And uh, 
the the other guest. Uh, sorry, her name escapes me. <laughs> Who talking about uh, Janet? Yesterday? Janet Brown. Janet Brown. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what her polling shows, and and that polling is 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 better than our scientific nonsense. I mean, I mean, may, maybe a little bit. May, I mean, maybe a little bit. No, Janet <laughs> Janet Brown is, is is uh you know with, yeah. with 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 apologies or at least with respect. No apologies with respect to all the other pollsters that we talk about mm-hmm. and talk to, and we talk to a lot of them. Janet has her own reputation uh, that that's earned uh, based on performance. Incredible, and she nails it uh, better than anybody else does. I mean, some pollsters are are just like way off every single time, and they she's still get so they close. still get hired. She's always she's, pretty close. She's eerily. I like how you said it yesterday. Like if you you were any closer. People would think you're cooking the books. But. If you're any closer, people would think that this was an inside <laughs> job. So but Janet honestly, Brown, if you missed it, and, and Tyler, we're talking about is mm-hmm. Tyler Gandam. He's the mayor of Wetasco and the president of Alberta Municipalities. It was a great episode yesterday getting into this and, and what Albertans mm-hmm. are telling people. The only thing I would think is I, I don't know who would want this other than someone who like would. I guess you would want to know someone's political stripe when yes. they were up talking just so you can. But then I, I feel like for a lot of people, it's easy to be more angst and more like, you know what I mean? You wouldn't listen to the person. You'd have this blinder on that. They're but I an think NDP that or you got to, you know, you got to You, you got to consider that for a lot of people uh, when you're voting, let's say, in a municipal election for your city councilor, you're voting for for one thing for a lot of people. And that is who's the most business friendly candidate mm. or. Who is the most socially conscious candidate? Or where does this candidate stand on supervised consumption sites? Or where does this uh, candidate stand on restrictive covenants when it comes to infill development? And you want to know, for a lot of people, without a shadow of a doubt, where a candidate's going to stand on something. And for people that might be more business-oriented, they'll make it simple. If there's a UCP candidate, they're going to vote for the UCP candidate. For people that want to make sure that social services are well topped up, that there's equitable access to these types of things, that there's forward thinking, reliant, you know, I'm going to say it, that, that there's evidence-based thinking on <laughs> things like uh, harm reduction and approaching the opioid crisis, yeah. then they want to know who the NDP candidate is. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, they want it to be that simple. But I've seen many people suggest, like you just did, like Mayor Gandam did yesterday, that they don't want their city councilor to simply be cut and dried, voting on party lines, uh, unaware of or, or or unobligated. Is that a word? Unobligated? I think so. We'll unobligated. Unobligated <laughs> to things like nuance, bipartisan efforts, yeah. working across the room, dealing with other people, integrating different solutions into a big coordinated plan and mm-hmm. i mean i think that at the municipal level it's arguably more important than anywhere else i think all levels another point tyler made it's important but especially at municipal level like a great idea is a great idea who cares what the person's political stripe is if they can figure out how to you know fix potholes and get people to work and and provide them with some access to parks and 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 libraries and whatever all, who cares who cares yeah. if they're orange, blue, red, whatever Yeah, their political party is. A great idea is a great idea. That was another great quote from Tyler yesterday. Uh, Scott in our live chat says, uh, Mayor Amarjeet Sohi coming out against municipal parties, uh, ironically, as a liberal insider. Uh, but Scott, maybe that's why. Like, you know, you, you, I don't think you'd want to really. I mean, I guess he's won and lost as a liberal in Edmonton before. But, you know, who does this most well serve? I don't know. Um, I don't think it serves the people the best. Um, if I had to vote, I mean, I said yesterday I'm kind of undecided on this because I want to hear people out. I want to hear this out. We're going to bring there's there's an organization in Edmonton that, that if, if, you, if you're plugged in in Edmonton, you already know about this group and what they're doing. But we'll wait till they announce. But we'll talk to their leader. 
at some point about their plan. I mean, you know, they're they're observing the rules right now ish. Um, <laughs> well, they haven't broken any rules yet, but they're ready to roll out a party. That's the whole plan. And it's happening elsewhere as well. And so I want to hear them out. You know, we'll ask them when the time comes point blank. How does this best serve the people? Like, what's the argument for this? And then what do you say to all the critics? I mean, just obvious questions. But the people that are probably most well served on this, I mean, if, if you believe that folks feel like there's a deficit of conservative representation at the municipal level, it probably best serves UCP candidates. It definitely serves UCP candidates in more rural areas. And then in some cities like Edmonton that has a reputation for leaning a little more left at the municipal level, I think probably official NDP candidates would probably have a bit of an easier ride in some ridings where there may be some obfuscation, some confusion, or at least a lack of clarity around who exactly might be the appointed one, so to speak, in that riding. Doesn't no, that no, make are... sense, though? It's funny how that makes sense that at the municipal level we always you know, bring in the left-leaning people who want to spend more money on the things that matter to uh, I us. I don't know if we always <laughs> do, but, but I mean, some cities do more more frequently. Tony says, like, to be honest, don't we already know the political ties that councillors and mayors have? We do. Uh, says it's so evident in, in Edmonton's council and it's frustrating. I mean, we think we do, but here's the thing, is that some councillors are all over the map. I mean, some of them where you, you, you may think, you know, that they would represent an NDP perspective, for example, when it comes time to vote, they don't, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of quote-unquote, not a whole bunch, but I can think of a few anyway, and one in particular of left-leaning councillors who you would think would be all about density and infill and affordable housing that are arguing against exactly that when it comes to the city's big plan around rezoning and bylaw changes and how Edmonton's moving forward to build itself. I guess what I'm suggesting is that hypocrisy is not limited to the province or to federal politicians as well. We see it in the city representation. We see it at city hall, even mayor Gandam yesterday when I noted, and I said basically what that comment just was, Tony's comment there, and, and I said on the show, it's as a matter of fact the highlight that we released on Twitter. I said, let's be honest, it's pretty obvious that Edmonton's council as a whole leans pretty left. Mm -hmm. Mayor Ganim didn't like that comment. Did you notice? It's, I noticed, it's why yeah. we put it out on Twitter. He kind of bristled at that. Mm -hmm. He said, uh-uh-uh-uh. He said the responsibilities, and you can check out the clip. You can follow Real Talk RJ on Twitter. He basically said the responsibilities around things like housing supports, public safety, harm reduction are being downloaded on municipalities. So we, in his words, are forced to deal with this. Mm -hmm. He said, so the way that I approach that, uh, my words, not his, with empathy, looking for effective solutions, he said, may lead you to believe that I might vote a certain way provincially. He said, but that's not the way it works. But isn't this, shouldn't we... <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't all the parties have empathy? You know what I mean? But what does this mean? Does this mean empathy in City Hall? Empathy looks different to different people. It does. Yeah. There's different ways to be empathetic. But what does this mean? Is everyone going to wear a little pin on them? Or are we going to like, you know. Well, they would literally City be... Hall is the mayor in the middle. And then we separate the seats. And one side's orange, one side's blue. You know, a couple are red. Well, they'd like... probably sit according to their wards as they would. Yeah. But the, the difference would be is that in theory, there would be a nomination race. Mm -hmm. You know, if you wanted to be the, the UCP or the NDP candidate Going in, for in, that in Ward, Nakota, yeah. Iska, as an example, or whatever ward, pick your ward, you would go through that nomination race, and you ultimately, if you won that, would be um, the 
NDP candidate for that ward. Wow. You would be the UCP candidate for that ward. I mean, we've seen wards. I remember there was a by-election uh, that, that uh, you know, to throw back a little bit, a former Edmonton police, was he a detective, Mobanga? I think he was a detective. Anyway, a senior-ranking Edmonton police officer. When he won that by-election uh, to, to, to earn his seat, his short-lived seat on Edmonton City Council, there were like 32 candidates in Jeez. that race, in that ward. 32 of them. Wow. It's not unusual to have four or six or eight or ten candidates in a ward. Hmm. If you had it simple enough to say, well, here's these parties' nominees and then all the rest running as independents, I wonder how that might change the dynamic. I mean, it would certainly give some people a leg up. Uh, for sure it would, yeah. Yeah. You can let us know what you think about this. Now, this is something that... The, the provincial government has has not indicated is a priority. And if you talk to people on the inside, it either is or isn't. But I think that our friends at our Alberta municipalities suspect that this may be happening. And if you want more information on exactly where they land on issues, on subjects, on how they're supporting Alberta municipalities, you can always check out their website, abmunis.ca. Make sure you check out that Real Talk Roundtable from yesterday if you missed it. Uh, by the way, coming up on Friday's show, we've got our Real Talk Roundtable prepping for Remembrance Day. We're going to talk to people who have served, people close to people who have served. We're going to hear the stories that maybe haven't been in the spotlight, lest we forget. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we hope to speak with Alberta's health minister. And we're also going to check in with a, a U of A professor. We're going to be talking about the latest issue of Alberta Views magazine. Uh, don't forget, you can find them online at albertaviews.ca. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.